So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky. No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah Berlin. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. My name is Noah. I am very thankful to have Brait back with me to talk Rings of Power. So you don't have to listen to me ramble solo about all things Middle Earth anymore. Although if you're into that kind of thing, make sure to go back YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and listen to my Geek Peaks, the shorter episodes uh, with my takeaways from the previous three episodes. But like I said, Brad and Kay are back with me today to talk about Alloyed, the Ring of Power season finale. And we're going to give you all of our awards from season one. So lots to talk about today, all in the Rings of Power universe. Goes without saying. You should probably watch this episode before listening or watching this podcast. Of course, there will be spoilers for this installment of the show, as well as the season as a whole. But let's get into it. This episode, we saw no dwarves. We saw no Southlanders. And for the most part, the episode itself followed two main storylines. So let's get started with the one that everyone's talking about and the reveal that we all waited a full season for. Kate, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts on Halbrand and the big reveal that he is indeed Sauron? Well, I'm a little conflicted because I really liked Halbrand throughout the entire season. Um, Thought he was super attractive and also just seemed like a pretty decent guy. I don't know. I just really liked him. Um, So it was kind of a little bit unsettling to know that I had a little crush on Sauron, I guess. Um, I also, I'm not sure that it was like that big of a reveal for me personally. I mean, I I think, and in your previous podcast, you said this too, Noah, like, I think it was pretty, they were hinting pretty hard that he was Sauron. So I wasn't super surprised, but, um, I thought that the way that they did it with kind of the visions, um, with Galadriel and, you know, her him taking over the form of her brother, um, them going back to the raft and him saying like, let's, let's do this together. Like, I thought that was really cool. Um, and I really liked seeing that. Brad, what about you? Was this a surprise to you? Like, where were you? And if it wasn't a surprise to you, when do you think you knew, when was it cemented in your mind that he was Sauron? So I, I swear, it's like easy to say this, like in hindsight, but I like, I feel like I've known like all season long, but it was really funny because I think it was the episode pre, maybe it was two episodes, it was two episodes ago, the episode that ends with the big, like cataclysmic explosion kind of thing, when Theo like unwraps the sword and sees that it got swapped out, I was like, oh, now it's confirmed. Now I know for sure. And then it cuts to that shot. It ends up being like the random villager kind of turning the key. Waldreg. Huh? Not random villager. Waldreg. <laughs> Waldreg. Sorry, sorry. No disrespect to Waldreg. No, but, no. Uh, he deserves all the disrespect. Yeah, you can disrespect him. <laughs> when it cuts to that shot of him about to do it, I thought it was Halbrand. And I was like, yep, knew it, knew it, called it. And then it was him. And I was like, oh, maybe not. And then the next episode started and nothing. I was like, Damn, maybe I keep like thinking I like 
crack the code, but I'm like, maybe not. And then this episode, I was like, finally. So it was good to finally get like a theory of mine confirmed. Yeah, it was interesting because, and we'll hit on this a little bit later, kind of the misdirection that the showrunners and the producers kind of did with us throughout the entire season, because really all the fans, everybody that watched this show, every episode, they're thinking, okay, which who is Sauron? Is it Hallbrand? Is it the stranger? Is it someone we haven't met yet? Uh, is it somebody else that we have met that we just don't know? It's you know, so the whole time everyone is watching this, picking apart any clue that could lead to the reveal of who Sauron is. And so I think that ultimately it was done really, really well because it wasn't laid on too thick. Like it was definitely established where there are other things where I just reminds me of the last scenes in the game of Thrones, where we could argue about this. We don't have to get into it totally, but it's like, you know, when Daenerys goes bad and kills all the innocent people of King's landing, it's like, okay, was that earned? You know what I mean? Was that out of nowhere? Uh, And I think this one, it didn't give it away entirely, but I think it was definitely earned. So I think that they did it really effectively. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that, cause my first thought was like, well, wait a second. Like he, you know, he wanted to just stay in Numenor. He didn't want to fight. And then when he ended up, you know, going to this battle, like he was fighting against the orcs and stuff. So I, it didn't make sense for a second. And then I'm like, Oh wait, like he, that was, Adar was the guy that used to work for him and he's pissed at him. And so he wants to take over. So it does make sense of why he was kind of on Galadriel's side the entire time. Yeah. So point too, like that, that's why it was so well done too. Not only like the bait and switch and like, okay, I think I got to figure it out. No, I don't like, not only did they do a great job of that, but like, I mean, this is like a long show. These these are not like easy episodes to like take in. So, you know, it just says a lot that this season can end. You're like, I want to go back and like rewatch it right now and like start to see all these things that I maybe didn't pick up on. I mean, this is not a show you would expect to end season one and be like, I'm going to go back and rewatch it right now. But, you know, it's a sign they did it right. Yeah. And that's my favorite part about shows that I like where you watch it and you really enjoy it, but you also are like, man, I got to go back and rewatch this because there's so many things that I'll be able to pick up on the second rewatch. But let's go through it, right? To me, um, I suspected Hallbrand also of being Sauron um, throughout really the entire series. However, I really was going back and forth and there was some, I mean, we could go back and check the receipts, but there are certain podcasts that we did from season one where, excuse me, uh, I really was convinced that the stranger was Sauron. Um, because particularly, I mean, I think that they, they did it on purpose where when the meteor crashed, uh, to middle earth and they show that aerial shot. And I just keep seeing that in my mind where like he's in the fetal position laying there and the fire around him, it looks so much like Sauron's eye. And I'm like, that can't be a coincidence. And plus the, the, um, prophecy that Sauron's return is, uh, is it co- is coincides with a meteor crashing it you know what i mean so i'm like that can't be a coincidence too so they they did a good job with that but if we're going with it with this episode i mean i was going back and forth the whole time the first time we see him in this episode i i knew um and it was when he's he's there getting elvish medicine and he's fine all of a sudden uh and then he's we see him, he's up and looking around. He's in Calabrimbor's workshop. He's just wandering around in there. And at that exact moment, I'm like, oh, Sauron, bam, easily. Like he knew of uh, Calabrimbor. 
they talk about uh, Feanor's jewel craft, and he's the one that that made the Silmarils. We talked about that in a previous episode too. Um, and then he gives the advice, and he's like, "Call it a gift." And it's like, okay, this guy. I mean, it's just such a whole. <laughs> Sauron gives the gift of these rings of power to these races and tricks them, and, and I mean, it's literally like they laid it on pretty thick in this episode. Yeah. I thought, yeah, no, that's a good point too. Like you started, like yeah, I. And that's why I would want to go back. Like at this point, you see him pulling the strings and it's a little bit more obvious. Like, they're like, we're going to make it a crown. And he's like, if only there was something else that was round that could be <laughs> worn on someone's, <laughs> I don't know, finger. Uh, <laughs> like, I can't put my finger on it, but it, we need to think of something else. But like, yeah, it seems like he was way craftier early on where like he even had us fooled. Yeah, and I'm glad that galadriel really did pick on it pick up on it quickly because i thought it was going to be a whole thing where she just doesn't think about it or like it doesn't hit her and like and it's like it's so obvious galadriel like come on and especially when she's talking and calabrimbor is like he says exactly what adar said in a previous episode where he's like we're on the cusp of a new kind of power not of strength but of spirit not of the flesh but over flesh this is a power of the unseen world and like it's literally word for word exactly what uh adar said so wow i didn't I didn't catch that. Totally. But I heard she was like, where did you hear that? And he exactly. doesn't really answer. He's like really super shifty about it. So yeah, he's like, oh, I, w- I was talking to my Smiths. One of them might have said it. I don't know. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, some random he, like. <laughs> I know we're not doing like an LVP for this episode, but he was like the LVP for this episode. Like he was super shady then. And Brad and I were kind of talking while we were watching it. We're like, he's supposed to be like the best of the best, right? And like making all this stuff. And he like can't figure out like how to like put these metals together. And then he's like, you know, messing all this stuff up. And he has to have Paul Brand, Sauron come in and give him all these suggestions. We're like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> it is funny too, because like we I mean, I they introduced Calabrimbor, I think, at the end of the first episode. And and I knew just knowing of the story, even though I didn't read the books, that Calabrimbor is the one that creates the rings of power. It's not that Sauron creates them and gives them and they all just believe him. Like if they create it themselves, they're just manipulated into it. So I was I was really interested to see how that would happen, because in my mind, I'm like, this guy is the worst because he just ruins everything, obviously. But like the way that they show how it actually happened was kind of cool. But you're totally right. I mean, all of a sudden he was just totally incompetent. And, you know, yeah. like the back of Hallbrand's mind, he's like, God damn, I got to give another like blatant <laughs> advice. Like, what do I gonna, throw some sprinkle some evil in it? And like, you'll be good, dude. Like, what are you doing? And it, and it was some like basic shit, too. It was kind of like. Oh, all these metals keep conflicting. Ah, oh, and the and then he has to be like, "What if you found the metal that agreed with the other metal?" And he's like, <laughs> "Agreed with, of course." Like, oh, genius! Try that. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Um, how funny was it too when Galadriel was like, "All right, I gotta, I'm getting some shady vibes from Halbrand," and she's like, "Let me just hire my private investigator. I'm gonna hire Jessica <laughs> Jones, my little." elfin private investigator who's like all right let me go find out the tea for you and i'm like what was that yeah what was was we were commenting on that dude we're like who did this dude come from that she like all like trust with everything like this is the most (laughs) important information that i trust you with i'm like who is this guy (laughs) yeah but uh that was that was very funny to tee up yeah um so then before they they have the big reveal Halbrand and Galadriel are talking and he says something to her which I thought was like kind of cool and it definitely sound 
uh, you know, it depends how you took it. And if you realize that he was Sauron before this or after this, but uh, he's like, no, thank you for what you've done for me. I'll never forget it. And I'll see to it that nobody else does either. And like, if you didn't realize that was Sauron, it's like, oh, wow, good. Like she'll get credit <laughs> for saving this dude. But if you do realize it's Sauron, you're like, holy shit, that sounds like a threat. And it sounds like she's going yeah. to be screwed. That was a great line. That was a great line. The way, like, that was like gave me chills. The way, oh, I'll make sure no one forgets what totally. you've done. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. yeah. And that that actor, he did so great in this episode. Like, he was so creepy and like, ooh, he just like gave me the chills. Yeah, totally. And and I just started when when this part happened, and I'm realizing that they this is very highly likely Sauron, and thinking about just like man. Galadriel like really fucked up if this is Sauron like she re I mean and, and it just went back to that quote from the High King in, in episode one when he's talking to her and he said for the same wind that seeks to blow out a fire might also cause it spread and that's literally exactly what she did over the course of this entire season like he and, and it's true he, he wanted to stay in Numenor like what what if that would have happened like would he just not really have become Sauron he just would have gone a different path like or would it just have happened differently like but I mean, every step of the way, she made him into basically what he is going to become, which is just kind of crazy. But that's yeah. why I think, and, and you guys might might have picked up on this better than me, but that's why I would want to rewatch it is I'm like, did he want to stay in Numenor? Like, remember how interested he was in like the craft shop and he was like begging to get up in the craft shop. So I'm like, maybe that was the story he told, knowing like, oh, well, I, I've sprinkled enough seeds where... I, now I could easily play it off as, hey, I wanted to stay here, but I'd be interested in going back and rewatching it and be like, but did he ever do anything that actually showed he wanted to stay here? Or was that just the narrative he wanted to plant? So we saw at the end of this episode, the creation of the first rings of power. And it was the three that went to the elves. We know that rings of power will be made then for the dwarves and for the men as well. So maybe he just kind of changed up the order of this. And if he was in Numenor and like he got his, the job as the Smith there, maybe he would have started with the men and like made the rings. That I, I, who, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's pretty interesting to think about. Yeah, I would want to know like what his actions are rather than like that's always what's stuck in our heads of like, dude just wanted to stay in Numenor. He was like, let me be. But I'm like, but did his actions ever show that? Like, and, and it's, you know, it's insight. Like, I can't remember offhand. Like, I remember going to jail and blah, blah, blah. So I'd want to go back and rewatch and be like, man, he planted all these breadcrumbs to get exactly what he wanted from the beginning. Like, ever mm -hmm. since he got saved from the ocean. Well, when thinking about Hallbrand, um, they, particularly the vision where Hallbrand and Galadriel are on the raft again, which was the same from, I think, episode two. Um, and he basically says, like, I'm your friend. Like, you knew before, I never lied to you. I told you the truth. You knew I had done evil. I told you that. And you knew that our past meant nothing weighed against our future. And like, it's true. He's right. He wasn't, I mean, he was manipulating her, but he was not lying to her. And it was actually really cool visually when they show kind of like the camera angle shifts and the raft almost goes upside down and you see the reflections and it's literally like the reflection of Dark Lord Sauron and like the Dark Queen, I guess she would be, yeah. something like that. So that was very, very cool. And she's like, you'd make me a tyrant. And he's like, I'd make you a queen. And she's like, oh, so you're the dark lord. And he's like, not dark. You bind me to the light and I bind you to power. So my question to you is, 
do you think he always was going to be this dark lord like if galadriel would have gone with him obviously she would have been evil too but would it have been like a different type of way that it all went down where like there would be a little light and dark and like you know it's more of a power thing than an evil thing that's a really good question because i was kind of thinking like during that moment i was like is there compromise and was there ever compromise in this character at one point like all right the orcs are evil and they're monsters but they also can't survive in the daylight so it would make sense they need to exist in this world of darkness like would he have been a good leader being like okay you guys can have this area like you know we we know this character as like i want the world covered in dark but was there a time in which he was a little bit more like you know willing to negotiate and be like okay orcs need this they need to live here you guys can live here so i mean that's really interesting i hadn't thought of that of like was there gonna be a better version of him at one point kate what do you think i mean i don't know to brad's point like he seems pretty savvy like obviously this whole time he's been undercover and knows how to manipulate people um i don't know it's it was so interesting that part like when he said that about he would be binded to her by the light like that was really interesting to me and he also like in that same scene says something about um um about how he want he and Galadriel want the same thing they just want peace on middle earth Mm -hmm. um so I thought I don't know that was so interesting to me because I'm like well that doesn't seem right because we know he's just like this evil guy that's gonna like take over you know everything and um lives in Mordor and you know does all this stuff in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy um so I don't know it's I don't I can't imagine that he would be <laughs> like good or somebody who compromises like even if he was with Galadriel like I think he would still corrupt her and and honestly that's what I think is really interesting about Adar and exactly what you said Brad about like oh well maybe he's only doing this because he's looking out for the orcs like we'll see what Halbrand slash Sauron's relationship with them looks like and how he becomes even more evil and and the goals and the power hungry and, and all that good stuff but Adar I thought was really cool because you can tell that he were like he can said they call him Adar, which means father. That is not his name. And he considers himself to be their actual father. And they have a loving. I mean, the first time we see him, he had to put an orc out of its misery because it got injured. And it was like a sad moment. They had a whole ritual for for the, the orcs and like honored the dead. And it just seems so much more of like than a a mindless horde army. And it's like actually ones that he cares about and that's the reason he that adar wanted to uh erupt mount doom and all that to take care of the orcs and let them live and have a place to uh to settle down i guess right so i think that that's super interesting and and where sauron fits into that we'll see but the the scene here where she's like i'm not i'm not doing it i'm gonna stop you and he tells her she has no choice because without him the elves are gonna die like her people are all gonna die the shadow will spread and the darkness will cover the world. And, and he says, or he's like, what will they do when you tell them that you are my ally? What, uh, that Sauron lives because of you. Right. And it's like, damn, I mean, it's true. She's screwed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also she's between a rock and a hard place because it's like, yeah, you can, you know, you could prevent him from winning potentially, but by doing that, you're also killing all of your kind. So, so what do you do? So she makes a compromise and does what she thinks is right by, 
letting them proceed with the work, but she says to make three rings instead of one, because one will be used to dominate, two will be used to divide, and with three, there's going to be balance. So, I mean, obviously, the rings did, did their job, uh, and Sauron wins, ultimately, so I don't think that that plan <laughs> worked, but uh, it also reminded me of the two towers where Frodo is like, I don't want the ring, Galadriel here, like, take it, and... um and she's like, wow, you give me this ring freely uh, in a place of a dark lord. You will have a queen. I shall not be dark, but beautiful and terrible as the morning and the night. Dreadful as the storm and lightning stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me in despair. And obviously then she rejects the ring and realizes she passed the final test of the um, the, the spell that the, the ring could put you under. And she's like, I'm good. I passed. And now I could go live out the rest of my days in Valinor or whatever. And that's kind of the end of her story there. Um, but it reminded me a lot of that where, when he's like, we let's do this together and she's rejecting him. And it kind of comes full circle to, again, that scene in, in the two towers. I'm, I'm glad you like mentioned that too, because I think that is another example of just like how much more nuanced this seems and like the Lord of the Rings we like quote unquote grew up with, you know, like the Peter Jackson film. I mean, everything is literally like black and white. Orcs are evil. There's no like nothing, but like, you know, one of the moments I remember from the season is when, you know, the orcs are getting ready to go into battle and like Adar is giving that speech and is like, you know, they've enslaved us, you know, today's yeah. the day we rise up. Like you're never getting like orc motivational speeches before they're just evil. Like, and it's hard to be like, boo, stay enslaved. Like you're like, <laughs> I kind of get why these guys are upset. And like they want their species to survive. And they this is what they need. Like you were never getting that before in, in the older Lord of the Rings. You were just like, yo, they're evil, that's it. You know, and like I'm glad we're starting to see like whether it be other sides of Sora and, and be like, maybe he wasn't always just like a pure like evil character that and that's been it from the get-go maybe there's more to these characters than we kind of like have been led to believe i guess yeah and i mean the only one we have is i want to say in the two towers also when saruman is like on that balcony giving a hype speech to the army of orcs that are about to march to uh, helm's deep but he's like he there's no like personal touch there yeah, and yeah. love for these he's like tonight you will dine on man flesh <laughs> and they're all like <laughs> You know, like that's all you got, right? It, yeah. it has nothing to do with like the care about them, but uh, yeah, you know, like oh, I kind of see where they're coming from a little bit. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm thinking I'm on this side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. But yeah, I mean, that's why shows like this and House of Dragon too, like these prequel shows, that they add so much more weight to the things that we already know of because it adds more context, it adds more backstory, and and more meaning to these elements. So I just think it's really really cool. Um, so. The other main plot point that we see in this episode was the one revolving around the Harfoots, the Stranger, and what are called the Mystics. So similarly, I'll start this one by asking you, Kate, the same question. When did you know that the Stranger was, let's just say, a wizard for now? Did you know in advance? Did you have any inkling of who he might be? I mean, kind of similar to your answer before, like, I, I had an idea that Halbrand was Sauron, and this was, like, an early wizard, maybe even Gandalf, early, like, an early Gandalf, I don't know, um, but I kind of felt like that throughout the whole series, um, 
I just really liked him. He seemed really sweet and like just wanting to help the Harfoots. Um, so I really didn't want him to be Sauron. And I'm really glad that he's not. But I, I wasn't sure until, you know, they actually said like, oh, this isn't Lord Sauron. This is an Ishtari, I think it was or something. But whatever that word that means wizard and then That's i was like hard. okay yeah. confirmed great i'm really glad we can still root for him yeah so but you know going back to that opening scene i want to say it was the opening scene of the episode where yeah. the mystics they pose as nori and they kind of bring in the stranger so he feels comfortable and then they bow to him and they call him lord sauron and then it cuts to a different scene did this make you rethink what you just said you know where where was your head at once this scene happened So in the initial scene, I was like, man, like, I can't believe like this nice guy that did all these like nice things and seems really caring is Sauron. Um, So I I did think that it was Sauron just because of how they were reacting to him. And they basically said it's Lord Sauron. So um, I was upset for a couple minutes until they found out that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. He said they said. You fell from the stars, but you're far greater than they. For fire obeys your will. You fell below the dust, yet the dust fears you, for it trembles when you are wroth. The winds and waters, the heat and cold. In ruin you shall learn to command them all, and every being that walks or crawls shall be your slave, for you are Lord Sauron. It's like, yeah. yeah. Damn. It's funny how, like, good showrunners, filmmakers, directors, whatever, like, can just manipulate the hell out of us and like i know you're right like when they said that and they bowed along i was like damn this is something i'm like wait why do i just assume these people know like you know <laughs> it's just funny that we're like we're like damn you know and then it's like wait why did i just buy, buy that because i was told that so yeah that was a really good like uh, another time when like the rug was pulled out from underneath me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think they cut straight from that though to the scene of Hallbrand with Celebrimbor and I think at that exact moment I was just like okay that that's bullshit because I, I just felt so strongly when you see him in that talking to Celebrimbor he had already heard of him all that stuff and I was like okay yeah this this is this is some bullshit yeah. um but yeah I don't think I got that vibe from that like as much as I could be like oh I knew it was him and I I feel like I did that scene when he was wandering around that's interesting that you kind of picked up on man he's full of it right now because I don't know if i was getting that vibe at that time until it got a little bit further and he's like obviously planting ideas and stuff but i don't think i like jumped to that conclusion right away well i think because i just had it in my mind last episode when we find him like he wasn't in the episode hardly at all when we see like the aftermath of the eruption of mount doom and then we see him towards the end of the episode and he's all messed up but we don't see how he got messed up we don't see any of that and then galadriel comes in she's like oh he needs elvish medicine you see them riding off and so I'm just thinking like, oh, maybe he either did that to himself or it's all fake because he just wants a reason to go to like the elf land or whatever. Like, yeah. so I kind of had that in my mind the whole time. And when all of a sudden the first time we see him, he's totally fine. And he's yeah. wandering around like Celebrant. I mean, that I just, it really, um, you know, lit up sparks for me. Yeah. As soon as, as soon as we saw him, like you could just tell like the vibes were off. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just he seemed really like shady and like i don't know he was just acting weird Scheming, yeah for yeah for like, sure yeah, like this is this is the guy yeah if he was in house of the dragon he would have had a hood on and then basically the whole scene. 
I was gonna say maybe the nightgown threw me off. Like I trust anyone <laughs> in a nightgown. Anyone wandering around in a nightgown, like I just trust. So that might have been what was messing me up. <laughs> the trustworthy nightgown for sure. <laughs> well, the um the mystics, there were three of them. And and honestly, this the CGI, the effects uh and the magic and stuff that they've done now in two episodes in a row have been really, really cool looking. I think that as much as they were probably a little underutilized, where they didn't, I don't think, say a word until this episode and they're dead just as quickly as they came i mean we saw a lot of cool stuff from them so you had the ascetic the nomad and the dweller that was the names of the three and i only know that because i paused the episode at one point and amazon prime showed me on the pause <laughs> screen that these are the names of the characters but the harfoots are just cool i mean they sing songs they're just kind of lame and, and you know they're not fighters but at the same time like they have each other's back and it was just cool to see them you know, do what they did uh, in this episode and try to sneak around and and these all powerful magical beings. So that was really cool. And I think that I think in this episode, if we were not doing MVPs and awards for this episode, we're doing them a little bit later uh, on just the season as a whole. But I think Nori could be an MVP because she just she's awesome, and and it's impossible not to root for her, uh, and really in the relationship with her and the stranger, I suppose. Um. But tell me, Brad, and I know specifically that you probably thought this too, but when they were kind of fighting, they were hiding in the bushes and the trees and they were they were trying to fight the the mystics and they were kind of throwing little rocks at them like from above. And didn't it remind you of like the Ewoks versus the stormtroopers in, in Return of the Jedi? Like, yeah, didn't it feel like that a little? These cute little guys like fighting their little battle. Good for them. They're like throwing little off. rocks that you know are going to do nothing to them. Putting <laughs> up little booby traps to like trip them. Like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it got hard and like dude got stabbed or like, um, yeah, he got shanked. Jumped out and like stabbed, stabbed her in the foot. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. That's, that's, but I mean, I guess the Ewoks kind of had their little like tri tip spears. So I guess they got down and dirty a little bit too. But yeah, that's a good comparison. <laughs> yeah. So. And if you think about it, it was like um women, right? Like one woman, two kids, and an old guy that were like trying to fight them. And um it was like so brave. So brave of them. Yeah. And one of them was named Poppy. So like that's a big disadvantage like right there too. <laughs> that'd be a good point. <laughs> Your yeah. odds are not good if you have someone named Poppy <laughs> on your team. Yeah, so they end up getting the mystic staff, giving it to the stranger, and he basically kills them. And they have this really awesome um, CGI where, like, they turn into, like, skulls, and they almost look like the Nazgul in the other realm, but then they turn into moths and, like, kind of go away. I don't even know how to describe that, really, but I thought that looked really, really cool. Do you are they do you think they're gonna explain like who they were, like what they were doing, why they thought this was Sauron? Like, or are they just like gone now? I feel like they probably are not the only three. And so maybe next season as like Hallbrand, because he doesn't really have any followers now, right? At least he's on his own, Sauron. So maybe he'll meet up with like this clan of this group, or I don't know. Do you think moths are like an antithesis to like butterflies? Because isn't Gandalf like I don't know? He has like some relationship with butterflies, if I remember. Like I think no, it's, he, it's like, a moth. It's a moth too, where he like when Sauron imprisons oh, okay. him, and like the moth comes and he like communicates with it, and then uh, it, then the eagle comes and rescues him. Okay, because I remember like Lord doesn't he make like the fireworks go off and like the butterfly or 
or something like like when he goes to like the hobbits you know like to celebrate and all that stuff i think he's doing stuff with like butterfly or like fireworks or something but maybe you know i'm not i'm not sure so i was wondering if like the moth was like meant to represent like the opposite of like the evil wizards and the good wizards or something like that i mean maybe maybe and i mean that's interesting to i kind of i'm interested to look that up of just like the meaning of moths and like where they you know why that would be the symbology that they did there but so we find out that the stranger is an istar which uh in i guess the english language or the harford language whatever we're speaking in in the show uh means wise one or wizard so that's very very cool and so i thought he would most likely be a wizard that we don't i mean we only know of gandalf of saruman from the lord of the rings movies and then in the hobbit we meet um oh man what's his name the one that had with bird shit all over him <laughs> yeah i know he's on like a but someone to be right like baromir uh or, and, and i we just talked about him in a previous episode I know, I know. i'm blanking on it all. i'll get it later but we meet him as well um so there are two other wizards that we never meet there's five total wizards that come to middle earth um that are my and so i thought he'd be kind of one of these other wizards but then he says and she he's like yeah i'm not really sure where to go and he goes oh we're gonna go this way there's a sweet smell this way when in doubt eleanor brandyfoot always follow your nose and i literally just rewatched the fellowship of the ring last week and he says to frodo when they're in moria and they're they're all just kind of waiting to try to figure out where to go and he says he says oh we're gonna go that way the air doesn't smell so foul out there he says when in doubt frodo baggins always follow your nose he says literally that exact same thing and so i'm like holy shit like he's not an unnamed wizard this is gandalf and and it makes sense because we know Gandalf loves the hobbits. That's not a common thing for wizards and stuff to just have this relationship with, with these creatures. Um, and so maybe like this is the backstory of, of why Gandalf loves the hobbits because they're descendants of the Harfoot. And I just think that's so cool. So what do you think? Do you guys think that this, that he is Gandalf as well? Or do you think that he's somebody else? Okay. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's Gandalf. Um <laughs> mainly because that's like the most popular wizard and that's that's like the only one that I know but um (laughs) also because of the quote like that's something that I kind of read online of like that that was in the movies and I'm like well it has to be him right if he's saying the exact same thing you'd think I I thought the same thing too of like how cool would it be like Gandalf is known for having a special relationship with the hobbits that you know he would have developed that at this time so all the pieces are in place and I I, I would be kind of disappointed if it ends up like not if that ends up being another like switch but I do our crack research team has gotten us an answer on the other wizard oh really and it's funny you mentioned bird shit because his name is Radagast the Brown. Yes, Radagast. That's right. Yes, <laughs> Radagast. So, Man, yeah, that, that, wizards. that crack research team, they need they need a pay They're good. That's for sure. They are good. They are good. Um, well, other than these two main plot lines, I think there was only one, and you could correct me, but I think there's only one other scene that didn't kind of fall directly within this plot line. And it was with Arian, who is Ellen Deal's daughter. And she is picked to be one of the people to sketch the dying king as he's laying on his deathbed which was weird i guess yeah but you just know that there's a moment and and i did read um earlier in the year that Irian, this this character was made up for this show like he doesn't um ellen deal doesn't have a daughter in the books oh. 
So obviously she, if she's going to be a new character, she will serve a purpose. And over the course of the first season, she really served no purpose. And so I just was thinking as soon as they showed her and they showed her with King Tar Palantir, that like, this is going to be the reason. And essentially like he has a, a he's known for having these prophecies, uh, those, the seeing stones that we saw in Lord of the Rings and we saw in the uh, the end of this episode, they're named after him. They are called Palantir Seeing Stones, where his name is Tar Palantir. But he thinks she's Muriel. He said, there's still time to warn you. If the old ways of our people are not soon restored, our island will fall. That's something that they've teased throughout this entire season of the fall of Numenor. But he goes in with the, the Seeing Stone. He says, do not as I did. I looked for too long and now I cannot separate what what is from what was, what was from what will be. And then she goes and takes the thing off and the, that scene ends with her looking in the seeing stone. So any predictions of where that's going to go, why they included it? I mean, who knows, but I definitely think that she is going to use the Palantir and she's going to see. And I don't know if it, how those work. Like if it's a different vision for each person that touches it or like how that works, but um, it's supposed to be that they're all connected. And so you're able to see what's going on in other ones. And so in, I want to say two towers, like they know that they're dangerous because not all of them have been accounted for. So you don't know who could be watching through other ones. Interesting. Okay. No, um, well, I mentioned this to Kate. Were you also floored by the fact that we've now had twice within one week of an old dying king thinking someone was his daughter on and the it, deathbed? And yeah. you're like, that's not your daughter, dude. <laughs> Be very careful. Just open right? your eyes. Stop taking milk of the poppy, dude. Just what are you doing? <laughs> that's so crazy. Those aired like in the same week. I know. Like, I what know. are the chances? That's so funny. I wonder if the Rings of Power people were watching House of the Dragon on Sunday and were like, oh, shit. Like, God damn it. I feel like it's like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, Yeah, Kate, I mean, any any little predictions, though, of like where this is going to go or, you know, not really? I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that like the daughter and really... um, Oh my gosh, what's his name? Isoldor? Yeah. I mean, he was in it more and definitely had more of a storyline, but like they kind of weren't a huge part of this series. So I was kind of wondering the whole time, like, what are they doing here? Especially the daughter for sure, because she was barely in it. Um, So I think she's probably going to play a pretty big part in season two. What that is, I don't know. Um, but maybe she'll have kind of the same insight that Muriel has of Numenor being destroyed and somehow work against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I had no idea, but you just got me thinking maybe, you know, if there's evil on the other side of that, like it kind of manipulates her on the side at Numenor and like that could help or could lead to the destruction of Numenor too because of outside influences through the the Palantir maybe I have no idea I mean the other big thing to keep in mind with this is her relationship and I'll, I'll butcher these names but that's fine um her relationship with is it Keeman who's like on son yep like now they're gonna be privy to this information that they might so what is he I mean I I, I always call the Farazan guy high father but 
Like he seems like he might use this now to his advantage somehow. Like if they go that route, like this definitely opens up a lot of doors. So like potential drama to take place within that like group. Mm -hmm. Well, overall, I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was a great finale. And it was one of those where after the previous episode, I had no idea where this, this was going to go. And there was only one episode left. They had a lot to accomplish. And I feel like they did a really nice job of that. So I'm I'm glad and I'm very excited to I'll probably end up rewatching it before season two for sure. Uh, so I'm excited for that as well. But let's move on to our awards, our season long awards from season one. So the first one, as always, is our MVP. And again, this is the MVP, not just from this episode, but of season one in general. Brad, let's start with you. Who was your MVP from season one? I mean, MVP, I got to go with my guy, Jared Tolkien, um, you know, like with the exception, of, you know, like obviously the acting is brilliant, the costumes, the makeup, the special effects, like there's tons of behind the scenes stuff that like Tolkien himself isn't really responsible for. But so many of the things that I loved about this season, whether it be the mythology and the world building, the characters, the dialogue, I mean, like it's hard like to do these little like nuggets of wisdom and every quote is like a deep quote that has like some met metaphor meaning and stuff but like they do it so many times and they do it so well so like I had to give it a token for like kind of laying the foundation for the series um and now it's up to them to kind of like carry that obviously a lot of things are going to change and a lot of things aren't going to be followed from what token had written down so now at this point it's up to the showrunners to kind of move that forward but i've got to give him the mvp for the first season just for like kind of laying that down the groundwork okay i like it what about you kate well so i had trouble with this one um just because i picked galadriel which i mean from what we know now is like ooh, maybe a little like cringy because she <laughs> she basically allowed sauron to um develop and get into the Southlands and like Mordor happened. So I feel bad about it, but I just really enjoyed watching her this season. Like, I think the actress is absolutely phenomenal and so elvish. Uh, she played it perfectly. Um, and I just, you know, she was really trying to do the right thing the whole time. She was just trying to avenge her brother. She's trying to save everybody and stop this from happening. And so it wasn't her intention to do that. And I feel like we've all been in those situations, right? Like in our yeah. own lives where we're, we're trying to do the right thing. And sometimes it doesn't end up working out so good. And we actually mess stuff up pretty bad. So um, I kind of feel bad for her. Uh, I'm excited to see where her story goes, what's going to happen when people find out that she kind of brought this on. Um, Which and they also, will. Because, yeah, and then she was trying to keep it a secret, but Elrond found the scroll. Right. So it's definitely going to be a thing where people will find out. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing is, I she is a badass fighter. Like her fight scenes were like she didn't have that many, but when she did have a fight scene, I mean, it was unreal. Like she's like flipping off her horse and stuff. Like so, I really, really enjoyed watching her. And then just a secondary one. I know this is kind of cheating, but Erendir loved him thought he was such a badass he just seemed like such a good guy really again just trying to do the right thing and trying to save people and be really selfless um and his fight scenes were also insane and i just yeah. i really like that nice well I, I yeah you could be 
I agree with all of the things you said, except the, the argument could be made that Galadriel is actually the LVP of the season. I know. That's why I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but going with that, my MVP was Hallbrand because he manipulated his way into returning to power, tricking very smart people into doing his bidding, essentially. And I just thought the scene on the raft was really cool where she's like, I don't understand. How could you be Sauron? Like, you saved me on the, you, you saved me. And he's like, no, you saved me. And she's like, well, you helped me convince Muriel to go to middle earth. And he's like, no, I want to stay in Numenor. You <laughs> went to middle earth. You, you convinced her. And she's like, yeah, but you fought beside me. And he's like, yeah, I fought my enemies, which were also your enemies. So it's just interesting how he was able to manipulate all of that. And I just think it is, it was really cool. And, and ultimately, I mean, he went from being a dude on a raft to being Sauron in the rings of power I made. Right. And, and we all know where this is going to lead to. So he is my MVP for sure. And I, I also thought the actor killed it. And just, as we talked about earlier, the way that they approached the mystery behind it, I thought was very well done. So, yeah, it's so crazy that you, the, as you're going through that, where he's like, yeah, like I didn't really do anything. You did all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's just like wild as a, as a watcher to hear that and be like, oh my God, like yeah. I was duped this whole time. Yeah. And plus when he said, and we talked about it, but when he's like, I didn't lie to you. I told, you know, I told you I had done evil and you didn't care. Like, and it's just funny when that was all in the same conversation. It's like, man, she is very stupid. Like she really fucked up. But, right, but like nobody like I know of course we were rooting course. for her the whole time and I thought she was doing the right thing so but that's why it's good yeah. right because if yes. if yeah. every time she made these moves the viewer was like oh you idiot again you're fucking this up like it wouldn't have that same effect right so kind of in transitioning from that LVP let's talk about the least valuable player from this entire season and Kate let's stay with you who was your LVP from the season we hate Theo. We hate Theo. <laughs> Theo sucks for all the reasons that we've said in every single podcast. No that doubt. We talk about. He's always been the LVP every single episode. Um, Noah, <laughs> I know you hate him too. Stupid hair. He just like in every single like option he has he always does the wrong thing always does the most terrible option and you know he says to Galadriel like this is all my fault and I'm like yeah it is yeah dumbass <laughs> <laughs> totally I mean the first time he was on screen I hated him just because of a stupid haircut right and then he he proved me right every scene that he was in for the entire season but and similar with that my MVP are just humans as a whole like I didn't necessarily feel this way in the movies. Like they portray the humans as being very um, stubborn and greedy and, and arrogant and all that. But humans as a whole, like particularly Theo, who is terrible and Waldreg, who the unnamed villager, according to Brad, like it just portrays all of them as weak, very stupid and very easily manipulated. Um, and again, I didn't necessarily feel that way uh, totally in the, in the movies. Cause there just are such heroic ones. But man, yeah, humans just really were terrible and and deserve the LVP, I think, uh, for season one. What about you, Brad? Who was your LVP? Oh my God, this is like one of the easiest things ever. Like, you know, I want to take you guys back to approximately like eight weeks ago (laughs) when I said Galadriel was easily the LVP and you guys 
other than Ali G, everyone thought I was nuts. I was like, yo, she is bothering everybody with her shit. She's making problems for everybody. Leave things alone. And ha- and how does the season end with us finding out? Had she stayed on the paradise boat to paradise land, none <laughs> of this would have happened. She had to go diving into the ocean and creating all this chaos because she couldn't let things be. So from episode, I'm going to bookend it. My episode one LVP was Galadriel. My final episode of LVP is Galadriel, like hands down. I mean, you can't take a bigger L than like all that she did this season. Yeah, she's badass. Her fight scenes were sick. She had little cool moments for sure. But I, I don't know how you could have a bigger LVP than the person who pulls Sauron out of the water and gives him a second chance. She didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with with all the points you made, Brad. And I could confirm you did, in fact, have her as your LVP very early on. And all of us were like, what the hell? We were all kind of cring- <laughs> we were all kind of cringing at the fact that you had that, which I think is a perfect transition to our next award, which would be the cringe moment of the season award. So, Brad, let's keep it going. What was the thing that you cringed at and was hard for you to watch this season? I mean, let's keep it with Gladriel riding that damn horse. Um, ah. I I still wake up in a cold sweat sometimes in the middle of the night, just picturing her face on that horse in slow motion. And being like, why did I need to see that? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was it. It wasn't like, you know, obviously not a, a big deal. and Not something that ruined the show. But I was like, I mean, you picked a hell of a time to go with some super slow motion right there. So. That was, that was probably my most uncomfortable moment of the season. I forgot about how funny that moment was. And it just like, it was one of those things that like whoever edited the episode together was like, oh, like an inside joke that they had with like their friends. They're like, oh, I'm going to put in this really pointless, stupid, really long, really slow motion scene with the close-ups of the horse's face. It just was so bizarre and didn't fit anywhere. Where it's like, and it didn't mean anything. I'm sure that's something that 99% of the people that watched just completely forgot about, but yeah. it was so weird. And I totally was right with you. And I totally cringed watching that as well. Along uh, those same lines with the editor, can you picture the director on set that they like tell no, happier, happier, <laughs> really happy. You love like, riding the horse. Yeah, you need like, to ride the horse. You are so happy right now. <laughs> Keep it going. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Kate, it, does yours involve a horse? What What is your cringe moment award? You know, I really didn't have. I, I the only one I ever brought up was like um, when they zoom in really big on uh, Elrond's mouth <laughs> while he's like exclaiming something that doesn't need to be said. But um, <laughs> yeah, which I need to go back and watch that because that cracked me up. But I so do I. <laughs> I mean. Other than that, like, I didn't really have anything. I thought everything, for the most part, was really well done. <laughs> All right, yeah. Did My, anything overtake the horse for you? A hundred percent no. I mean, that was the only <laughs> cringe. Like, there's things I didn't like. I mean, Theo's haircut is cringe. Uh, <laughs> in, in episode seven, when they forcibly put Galadriel and Theo, which just seems like the most random pairing of characters ever. And, like, they just had all this forced dialogue and forced stupid scenes. She gives him the sword. It's like, why like he's just a, you don't know him he's yeah. just a random kid like it was just very stupid and i cringe and it's not that i cringe i just kind of rolled my eyes and i'm like get this scene over with so <laughs> there's that but with all bad storylines there of course must be great storylines so what was your favorite kate your favorite storyline throughout this season 
So I guess it kind of aligns with my MVP and Brad's LVP, which by the way, I think that that is the mark of a great show where you can have a character that is MVP and also LVP. We obviously had that with um, House of the Dragon too. So just putting that out there. But my favorite storyline was just kind of following her from the beginning of her journey of, you know, her brother um, dying and her avenging him um, and just really wanting to put everything into finding Sauron and, and defeating him. Um, so I just really enjoyed that and just seeing like all the different places that she went, all the different people that get tied into that storyline was great because obviously we get Paul Brand, which we've already said is a great character too. Um, so yeah, just her kind of her quest to overthrow Sauron, which, you know, we saw that how that ended, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it's really tough. Like there, there are times I'm like, oh, well, no, it, it, hands down is this storyline. And like, I mean, there are parts of it I like, there are parts of it, but like, you know, Elrond and, and Durin kind of like they're, you know, they start off the season having been former, you know, we know, okay, there was once a positive relationship between these two, but Doran doesn't seem about the fact that like Elrond was just gone for X amount of years. Like, how are they going to kind of like, you know, rekindle his friendship and not only do they, you know, they make it stronger. Like, so watching that develop and especially like kind of the conflict between, you know, the elves and the dwarves of like, you know, how, how deep do we, you know, dive in the Khazad Doom kind of stuff. Like, I really enjoyed like that storyline because like it was one of those times too, as much as the filmmakers or the story runner, you know, showrunners were able to kind of play mind games with the audience at times, there were certain things that we did know and we knew who was right and wrong in certain situations. And I think this was one, like, we kind of had foresight to say like, yeah, you guys might want to be careful with this. But I'm sure for, you know, if you were going in without that foresight, they're like, what's it? Why, why don't the elves help him help him out? Or, you know, or the dwarves like help them out more, like let them dig all they want. What do they care? They're being so greedy. And we're kind of like, eh, you know, it kind of works both ways a little bit. So I think just watching that storyline develop was probably like my favorite of the storylines. Yeah, I think the mark of effective story uh, storytelling, once you know a direction something's going or how something is going to end is really explaining the motivations in a way that it's not like, oh, we know these dwarves fuck up and we know they just are so greedy. And then what happens happens like being able to tell that story, but seeing where they come from and understanding the motivations of why they did it. It's the same with Galadriel, right? It's the same with everything that she did and, and really everything that the elves did where they need to survive. And yet what they do is ultimately empower Sauron, but they, they need to do what they did to, to, to survive for their race. But I think that that's just a mark of, of good storytelling for sure. Um, mine is right there too. Um, it's just Durin and Elrond together, their pairing. Um, I mean, Durin was my favorite character of the whole season. I thought he was great. He was funny. He was um, relatable. I thought for being a, a dwarf who, you know, digs in mines, like he was super <laughs> relatable. And I think truly that their relationship was the heart and soul of of the show of this season, for sure. And uh, I think that simultaneously their relationship was the most comedic aspect of the show. And it was also the most heartfelt where you see um, these relationships between them and their family um, and, and the friendship that they came together. I just think it was really awesome. And I enjoyed every scene with the two of them together in it. I, I really, really liked that. So going with that, 
maybe it wasn't a full story to uh, storyline, but favorite moment. I mean, I think that I'll just keep it going here. My favorite moment was again just the relationship between Durin the Fourth, Prince Durin, and and Elrond. And as you said, Brad, it starts out they haven't seen each other in a while. Elrond is not exactly welcome in Khazad-dûm, and and uh, Durin's mad at him. We see the friendship then kind of blossom and and come back together, and it's really a brotherhood, which ultimately makes Durin the Third, King Durin, really pissed off when he said that like Elrond is as much my brother as if he was born by my mother, and like he, uh, King didn't like that, but. It's true. And and then you see them in Linden together. And it was just an awesome, um, an awesome dynamic, like the scene where they're talking to Disa, uh, you know, over dinner, and they're like, Oh, how did you meet? And Elrond's like, Yeah, I was in the forest. And I heard what I thought was a little child screaming, and it was him getting attacked, and I had to save him. Uh, so that was funny. And um, the story where Durin at, at Linden, he makes up the story about, uh, um, about the table and how it has yeah. such high meaning for them and they use this material to honor their dead and it's sacred to them and he's just playing a joke because he wants an, a new table so it was also cool to see how much they value the friendship with each other because at times Elrond go against, goes against the Elven High King in favor of Durin he has his back and Durin goes against his father the king in the name of friendship too so just seeing that develop uh, and those scenes together that was my favorite moment 100% uh what about you Kate what was your favorite moment from the season so I know I'm like probably suffering from like a recency effect here because I'm sure there was a lot of really good stuff in like the early episodes that I'm forgetting um but I put down like the battle of the Southlands so I think that was episode six or seven maybe I don't I don't know yeah six, six ended with the the eruption the eruption okay so episode six. Um, I just thought that that episode was awesome. Like I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Um, the battle scenes were just really, really well done and just how they did kind of like the fake out of, um, you know, they, the orcs first sent in the like people, the villagers that they had kind of captured or not captured, but they went to their side and they sent them in. And so the villagers were like killing, like basically their friends and family, um, which was heartbreaking, but that kind of fake out. And then also the Numenorians coming in, um, which was kind of reminiscent of Battle of the Bastards for me, you know, where Jon Snow's like, I'm going to die. You think he's going to die? And then Sansa shows up uh, with, you know, and that was just a really, really cool moment. So we knew they were coming, obviously, but just cool to see them kind of run in and uh, help save everybody. And obviously it didn't, end quite with a win you know mount doom still erupted um and we knew that was going to happen eventually but just the whole battle scene i thought was really cool and really well done you know we obviously as we're doing a house of the dragon podcast you know along with like a rings of power podcast you know we see the similarities i think one thing we we haven't talked about that i always find interesting is it goes under the radar a lot of people don't talk about them but Chris Newman is uh, like one of the top producers on Game of Thrones and was also one of the top producers on this show. Hmm. So I'd really love to know like how much he took away from like his, ex- I mean, he's been in the business forever. I mean, he worked on like Star Wars, like Empire Strikes Back. Like, I mean, he's been around like working with these major mythologies. So I really want to know like how much he conscientiously like took from his time on um, uh, Game of Thrones and like 
said like look this is why this worked like you know you got to have this battle that's like a big ass battle and then when people think they figured it out nope that's when you like flip it and all of a sudden like oh you have everybody fooled and i i would love to like pick his brain about like how much of that did you take into lord of the rings and be like we can't do lord of the rings right now when people are used to game of thrones like it's not gonna work we've got to make things a little bit more grittier and you know a little bit more nuance and things like that so i think it's interesting we always compare the two shows and i'm like there's someone who has actively had a hand in both hmm. that's really interesting i didn't know that yeah his, his name is always so like backstory is we were actually going to interview him with you know if anyone not aware we're working on a docuseries for geeking you shall find i know kelsey will kill us if we don't plug it <laughs> um so we're working on this series and I was actually supposed to interview him um, like we had like a date set and time and everything. I was going to interview Chris Newman over Zoom uh, about his experience on Game of Thrones. He had already like read my questions, like wrote back answer. Like usually like I send people questions and like we just talk about it. But he actually like wrote answers like in between. I was like, oh, you didn't need to, like fill all out. That's really nice of you. And in about a week before the interview, he was like, hey, I really hate to do this. I've, and I want to say this is maybe like three years ago. He's like, I just got invited to a project out in London. I need to leave like in two days for this is totally unexpected. Like, can we take a rain check? And, you know, it ended up falling apart. I never reached back out or anything. And I'm always thinking to myself, his name is literally the first name that comes up after every episode of Rings of Power. And I'm always like, was this the project that he suddenly was like, Hey, I, I got to head out, man. I, wow. I just got a call about this. Like, you know, he didn't say what it is. Like, I just got a call about a project I need to jump on. I'm heading to London in two days. Yeah. Like, we might need to talk, save this for a later date. So, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I always notice is when Rings of Power ended and I saw his name first, I was like, wait, is that the same Chris Newman? And I looked it up. So, yeah, that's it's just really interesting to see. Like, maybe he was brought in in part. I mean, like I said, he's got like an incredible resume. It's not like, game of thrones made him or anything like that mm -hmm. he was well established well before that but i wonder how much like amazon was like yo we need to bring in someone that could bring in a little bit of knowledge about what made game of thrones work for fantasy and make this appeal to an audience outside of just lord of the rings fans hmm. wow that's really interesting and you should probably reach back out to that guy yeah i know right <laughs> yeah now that season one is done i'm like i'm sure you're not busy now right <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, it is time for our last award of this season, which is the character we wish we saw more of. So, Brad, who would that be for you? Who do you wish we got a little bit more screen time, a little bit more backstory on? I, I, I would say, you know, it, it took eight episodes for us to get the stranger forming full sentences um <laughs> so would have been great i mean daniel wayman the actor who who played him also like he i mean he crushed it man that guy did and i don't mean this is a disrespect to say he oh he did so much with so little like i don't mean he had like little work but i mean that dude was acting his ass off through like his eyes and just like one word and you were like oh my god this guy is such a big heart like Oh my God, you know, like you wanted to go to battle for that guy, like so much. So by the time now he's like kind of becoming more aware of who he is and, you know, where he comes from. And he's kind of like having fuller conversations with Nori, like to leave it. And, you know, and I get it. Like, I'm not saying it was a bad thing on the show's part to do it, but I'm like, damn, man, now I have to wait like two years to get like more of this character. So I, I would say hands down, it was the stranger, AKA possible, most likely Gandalf. 
Okay. Hmm. What about you, Kate? Um, so kind of going back to what you guys said for your favorite storyline, I also really, really loved the interactions between um, Elrond and Durin. Um, just thought it was like such, so heartfelt and you could just tell like they had just such an awesome friendship and I just loved that. Um, so I wish we saw even more of it. And I just really liked Elrond as a character too. And I feel like I would have liked to know more about him and like, his history and everything, um, like his deal. And then I also said Ellen Deere's kids and only because I feel like they're going to be important, uh, in they will. Two. Yeah. So I just, I wish we had seen a little bit, like, I wish I cared about them more. Okay. Hmm. I like it. That, that, that's really, that, that's a good point. I think, uh, mine was easily, uh, Adar. Um, I mean, we know, he, he was in a few episodes, not as many as he should have been probably, but we know he was a uh, Moriander, which is the first orcs. Basically he's super old and he was a fallen elf that was taken by Morgoth and basically twisted and made into this new ruined form of life. Um, but he's not an idiot. Again, he cares for these orcs. Um, he considers them family, their descendants directly of him. Um, and I just want to know more about his story. He said he killed Sauron and appears that he, that was not a lie. He did. He killed Sauron, but Sauron is a Meyer. And so was reincarnated in the body of Paul Brand. And that's what he looks like now. But we saw last episode when they kind of, uh, defeat Adar and Paul Brand has a spear to him. And he's like, do you remember me? And he's like, no, I don't. And, but it was just obvious. Like it was obvious to me that Paul Brand knew Adar, whether it was something like a, he killed his human family or whatever or something, you could tell he knew him. And so I just really want to know more about the beef between Sauron and Adar, because it seems like Sauron is more about power. It's about dominating. It's about enslaving. Uh, whereas Adar just wants a place for his family, the orcs to live. You know what I mean? So it's funny to see that kind of that um difference there between the two of them and and i'm just really interested in more of, of adar so it's, it's funny you mentioned like that scene when he had him and was like do you remember me and he was like nah i was getting um man i can't remember the, when in guardians of the galaxy when drax was like you know he, he's like Alpha. he's like you killed my family and he's like yeah. i don't even know who you are yeah. <laughs> I have no that was so savage yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was getting like those kind of vibes of like dude i you're, you're nothing to me like i don't know who you are i was definitely getting some like drax vibes where i'm like oh man this guy like probably had a speech repaired it, exactly he's like i've waited my whole life to find you you've done this and this and i hate i've hated you forever he's like i i have no idea who you are <laughs> so good uh well it's time for our final thoughts on season one i thought personally that the cgi was incredible i mean anytime you have a budget that's by far the biggest show ever put into production you'll get that but it really was amazing visually um there were some slow moving parts, uh, but this is Tolkien, this is Lord of the Rings, and this is how that is. And so you you have to kind of expect that. I know some people online, particularly the people that are huge book readers and um, fans of the source material, I think there were some more um, deviations than they were hoping for. And so it got it's gotten a lot of flack online from some people that really have kind of hated because of that. But I didn't read the books. And so as a TV show watcher, I really, really enjoyed this. And I mean, we got Sauron's backstory. We got potentially Gandalf's backstory. We saw Numenor 
Isildur's backstory, Galadriel's backstory. We saw Balrog get awakened. Like there's just so much stuff that happened and great things to take away from this. And uh, my favorite thing probably was the just the work that they did to fool us and keep the mystery going until the last episode of who the stranger was, who Hallbrand was. And when the reveals happened, I think they were done very effectively. So I'm really happy about that. What are your final thoughts on the season as a whole? Start with you, Kate. So I thought it was really good. And I, I mean, obviously, like I came into this as somebody who has seen one Lord of the Rings movie. Um, so I wasn't really privy to any of this stuff. I mean, I kind of knew just from like popular culture references and everything. But um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm a fan. I'm in for season two. I do think kind of like you said that there was some pacing issues where it was pretty slow in the beginning and kind of the middle there, it felt like they were just like stuck and we weren't getting anywhere. Um, but overall, like I really like the characters, the sets were incredible. Like the locations were insane. So beautiful. Um, and I think it's, it's really probably hard to do as like a, you know, a team that's making a TV show, it's hard to do a prequel where you already have these like endings that are set already. And you kind of have to um, figure out like what the buildup is to there. So I really appreciate all the work that they did in making that happen, giving us those backstories um, and still throwing, like, I know you guys mentioned um, throughout our podcast and everything, um, all the um, like throwbacks that they did to the Lord of the Rings movies and the books and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really cool that they paid a lot of homage to that. Um, but I'm pretty psyched for season two. I think it's going to be really good. Um, I think that the budget was well worth it. Like you can tell they spent a lot of money on it. Um, but overall, like I was, I was pretty happy watching it. Brad. I loved it. I, I really did. Like someone who like is, is a big fan of Lord of the Rings to begin with. I mean, I'm so thankful that I got to see. And that's the thing is I, I think a lot of fans, like, you know, I, I get some fans being mad about, oh, this wasn't consistent with this. Like, I totally get that. But like, I'm more of a take a moment to appreciate the fact that like, I never get, you know, thought I'd get to see like Numenor brought to life, like on this scale. Like it looked incredible. Like it's a TV show. Like, you know, and I know obviously, you know, 20 years have passed or whatever, but like this looks a thousand times better than the movies did. We're getting to like watch this at home. Like, that's crazy. Like, how's that doing? Like, we're very spoiled. The... Yeah. Like, you know, so, you know, hopefully fans like taking in consideration, you know, that's like really cool. And there are a lot of generations of token lovers and Lord of the Rings fans that like didn't get to see this, you know, like for themselves. So, you know, again, like, I get it. I'm never going to make excuses for, like, oh, let them do whatever they want, and they don't need to be consistent with anything. Like, I'm not saying that, but, you know, for a lot of the fans that are upset about this stuff, it's like, you've really gotten to enjoy it. I mean, I grew up remembering, like, the Hobbit animated movie. Hmm. Like, you know, we've come a long way. Like, yeah. so, you know, I'd like to see fans, like, appreciate that a little bit more, because um, I definitely did. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. If you are a lover of the Rings of Power and want to go back and watch some of our previous episodes talking about each individual episode, please do that. We also are doing this whole thing on House of the Dragon. So 
Feel free to go back, check out our previous episodes there. But we'll be back this week with uh, the new episode, the ninth episode of House of the Dragon. So make sure to subscribe, hit the little bell on YouTube, which will notify you when the episodes drop. Thank you for getting geeky with us. Thank you for listening. And to all of our subscribers in South Africa, tote scenes. Tote scenes. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. Powered by Superhero Faces. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Superhero Faces. And on Instagram at Superhero underscore Faces.